Acts chapter 3 for our opening reading this evening, please. We want to speak on repentance, refreshing, reception, and restitution. Repentance, refreshing, reception, and restitution. Acts chapter 3, please, beginning to read, verse 19. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world begun. Father, take your word, and even as it's already been prayed this evening, Lord, let it find a place in every heart. For those who may watch even online, live, later, and those who are here in this meeting this evening, we thank you for such a, a full house and a good number. And so, Father, we thank you for the faithfulness that you've put into the hearts of your people. Every head that is bowed, every home that is represented, we pray, O oh God, there will be a blessing upon it. Every child, every man, every woman, every boy and every girl, young and old, Father, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would speak this evening. Glorify your Son. Glorify his name. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen. After the preaching of this message by Peter, there was a great harvest of souls that were reaped for the kingdom of God. Now, how do we know that? Because Acts chapter 4 and verse 4 tells us this. How be it? Many of them which heard believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. 5,000 men in one meeting, and under one preaching sermon, the one that we have just read about, and we're told that 5,000 men were saved. Now, ladies, I'm, I don't know why that there's no ladies mentioned here, but I believe that there were ladies there, of course. And the reason that being is in Matthew 14 and verse 21, when the Lord Jesus had uh, fed the multitude with the five body loaves and the two small fish, Matthew 14 and 21, we're told, and they that had eaten were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Some statisticians say there could have been up 15,000 or more mouths that were fed in that great multitude. So 5,000 men had come to Christ, or more people had come to saving knowledge in the Lord Jesus. But where there was preaching of the gospel, this sort of preaching. Where there was the preaching of the word of God, there was also opposition of that word. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people, notice, and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now the Sadducees, didn't believe in a bodily resurrection. The Pharisees 
did, the Sadducees didn't. And so they would hate the thought of a man being raised from the dead. The Pharisees would hate the thought of Christ being raised from the dead simply because he was not God's son, he was not divine, he was not deity and humanity, he was not the saviour, but rather he was the bastard son of, of a Roman mercenary soldier with a young woman called Mary. Now that is not true. He's the son of God. And he was the son of man. He was birthed by the Holy Ghost. But this is what they thought of Christ. But the Sadducees here in particular, these uh, Jewish leaders, they hated the thought of any resurrection of the dead. They did not believe in it. Notice there was opposition. Here's what I had written when I was thinking and pondering over this just yesterday. Every portion of opposition is worth facing for every precious soul whom Christ has died for. Brother, sister, will you take it on board this evening? Christian, will you take it on board? I'll say it again. Every portion of opposition is worth facing for every precious soul whom Christ has died for. And although the, through the apostolic ministry in the book of Acts, there was revival, but there was also a riot. <laughs> Modern uh, Christianity in many places and in modern society, if it's not all get-togetherness and love, 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 and no wrath or no judgment, no repentance, no sin, no blood being preached, uh, you know, in, in modern uh, society, they, they don't want to hear of people being sinners. And you're not Christ-like if you do that, but yet the apostles preached it. Notice this, they came under... Uh, vile opposition. The preaching of the gospel was viciously attacked by the devil and by those whom he would use in general. Acts chapter 4 and verse 18 and Acts chapter 5 and verse 28 tells us of these. Again, verse 1 of Acts chapter 4 tells us of the Jewish religious leaders tried to ban the gospel. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Tried to ban the gospel. Acts 4 verse 18 says, And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 5 and verse 28, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You remember that at the crucifixion and the trial of Christ, they said and they cried, his blood be upon us and upon our children. It wasn't the apostles. They cried it to be upon themselves. That is the guiltiness of the blood of Christ. So the Jewish leaders tried to ban the gospel. Acts in chapter 4, they commanded them not to speak. And then Simon the sorcerer, we can't turn to all of these in Acts chapter 8, Verses 9 to 11, and again in verse 18 and 19, Simon the sorcerer saw the effects of the gospel, and he came and he tried to buy it. So they tried to ban it. He tried to buy it. And of course, Peter says, your money, go to hell with you. You cannot buy that which is a gift from God. You can't buy your salvation. You cannot buy your way into the kingdom of God. Rather, it is received by grace through faith. And then in Acts chapter 15 
And verse 1, if you'd like to turn quickly, we'll turn to some of these. Acts chapter 15 and verse 1. The legalists try to bridle it or they try to bind it. They tried to bind the gospel. It says, Acts 15 and verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. They tried to bind the freedom that was in Christ. They tried to ritualize that which was in Christ, to legalize that, that by keeping the law, you could have salvation. That by not being circumcised, you can't be saved. And we're told that if we're not in a certain sect or a denomination or whatever, that we're out of the will of God. Or if we're outside a certain denomination, we cannot be saved outside of it. If we don't do certain rules and regulations and rituals, these, the legalists try to bridle the word of God and bind the word of God. Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 18. Let's read it, please. Acts 16, verse 16. And it came to pass, as they went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and he come out of her the same hour. Here a demon-possessed girl tries to blur, blur the gospel. How does she try to blur the gospel? She walks after them. These men, these men are the ser- servants of the Most High God. It's about these men. It's about Paul and the disciples or the apostles. These men, these preachers, brothers and sisters, you see, there are certain places and certain men. I've seen video clips of people, especially in Africa, where the the pastors are now walking on the top of the congregation, literally, as if they're his carpet because he's too holy to touch the ground. Blurring the gospel, looking onto another looking to a man for salvation. And so uh, here Paul says, this is a spirit to blur the gospel that exalts and lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, there is no other gospel other than the gospel of Christ and his kingdom and the saving grace. None other should be exalted than Christ. So she saying, these men are the servants of the most high God which show unto us the way of salvation tried to blur it. The Stoics and the Epicureans, they tried to belittle the gospel. Acts 17 and verse 18, please. Acts 17 and verse 18. The certain, then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Notice here, these philosophers, these Epicureans and these Stoics try to make little of the gospel. What will this babbler say? The term is, it's the word spermologos. It's where we get seed, sperm from. It means uh, uh, that which is uh, the seed to generate something. 
and logos means the word. So it gives the idea of birds picking crumbs off a table. And they're saying, this man has put a lot of different things together and he's trying to make some new God and he's trying to make some new religion. And so they try to belittle the gospel of saving grace preached by Paul and the apostles. Demetrius, the silversmith, who made the idols in the temple of Diana and made much money of it, tried to blaspheme it. And he said he had the people crying, will not turn to it, write it down, and you'll find it in Acts 19, verses 24 to 34. And they cried over the gospel. They cried as if it was louder than the gospel. Great is Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians, for two solid hours straight. They cried out for another God. And so they tried to ban it. They tried to bury it. They tried to buy it. They tried to blur it. They tried to belittle it. And they tried to blaspheme it. But it never stopped the gospel. It never stopped the apostles preaching the word of God to the people. And Paul went, Peter went, and the apostles went and kept preaching Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead again. So what am I saying this this evening? What I'm saying is this. You can put on your programs and you can put on your flashing lights and your smoke machines and all your fanciful stuff And you can put on all those wonderful things that the world has and bring it into the church and say we're here to try and reach the people. The Bible tells us that people are saved by the preaching of the word of God. And they have tried throughout the years to to ban and to bury and to buy and to blur, to belittle and to blaspheme the word of God. But yet the word of God will endure forever. And the Bible still stands and many men, free thinkers and philosophers and women have passed out into eternity without Christ and and yet the word of God is forever settled in heaven. We have a more sure word of prophecy in our hands and we stand upon that word. Notice where there was a revival, there was a riot. There was always opposition. So wherever you go, you'll get opposition. I get opposition all the time. I get opposition that no one knows about. I get opposition, I get called names of, as usually I get a new name every week. (laughs) And sometimes you go, what's this all about? But nevertheless, it's the word of God. It's preaching the word of God. It's believing the word of God. And let's press on in the word of God, brothers and sisters. No matter what you're facing at work or at home, No matter what you're facing in your neighborhood or society, no matter what government laws bring in, we will stand upon the word of God for it is by the preaching of the word of God that men and women are brought into the kingdom of God that they're saved. Notice this. There was a riot at Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 and verse 40. Notice what it says about this riot because of the preaching of the word. You can read it all when you, when you go home. This was about Demetrius, the silversmith. Notice what verse 40 says. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar. There was an uproar in the city of Ephesus. 
there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. There was an uproar in Ephesus because of the word of God. Do you not see now whether it's Ephesus of old, whether it's London, Belfast, Dublin, Edinburgh, Cardiff, and throughout all our land. Do you not see how there's an uproar now when the gospel is mentioned? Do not see how there's an uproar now when the gospel is preached and how men hate the word of God, how women detest the word of God, are dead to the word of God, and yet Christians are starting to cower down. They're hiding, they're afraid. Even the leaders of Christianity, those of so-called established Church of England, in England and in Scotland and Wales and in Ulster, do you not see how they're, they're starting to bow the knee and, and, and to, to bend the head, as it were, to cower in the face of opposition? And yet everywhere that the word of God was preached, there was an uproar, there was a revival, but there was a riot. And brothers and sisters, we can expect no less in this year and this day and hour that we are living in. Do you know there was an uproar in Thessalonica? There was an uproar in Thessalonica. Acts chapter 17 and verse 1 says these words. And when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed, and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few, but the Jews which believed not moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and, a company, and gathered a company and set all the city, notice, on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them out, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come thither also. Do you know what they were saying? Paul and Silas, two men of flesh and blood, Preach the word of God without fear and favor of men in the power of the Holy Ghost. They said, these men have turned the world upside down. Now they're come to Thessalonica. These men who have changed the hearts of men through the preaching of the gospel. They weren't doing circus acts, by the way. They weren't getting on unicycles and juggling in the middle of the church to get people in. They weren't saying, look, let's all meet at midnight and flush on and off our candles as we light our lanterns. They were preaching the undiluted word of God. They preached Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead. They preached repentance unto the people. And they preached a coming again. Of Christ. Listen, and they turned the known world upside down. Brothers and sisters, I wonder what we could do here in CET if we got it into us. 
that without fear or favor to go out there and preach and speak of Christ, I believe we would turn, as it were, our world upside down. Notice this. <coughs> Excuse me. Notice this. That was in Thessalonica, or Thessalonica. Back in our reading in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, and in verse 19, listen to what Peter preaches when a great harvest of souls is reaped for the Lord. Repent ye therefore and be converted. Notice that your sins may be blotted out. If there's no repentance, there's no conversion. Did you see that? If there's no repentance, there's no conversion. If there's no conversion, there's no blotting out of sins. The word repentance here is a word, matanaeo. Matanaeo. And it simply means to change one's mind. Change your mind. Change your mind about how you live. Change your mind about what you do. Change your mind about what you think. But it also means change your mind and align to the word of God. Notice here, Matanaeo or repent here, it is also mentioned, it's first mentioned is in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. Chronologically, that is in our New Testament. It's in the Old Testament, the word repent, but it's a different word. Notice here, Matthew 3 in the New Testament, verse 2. John the Baptist, a man filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. A man filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. The first time we hear of him, he comes preaching. The word preaching actually gives the word to shout like a herald. To shout like a herald. I remember 10 or 11 years ago, I went to visit a woman. And she lived outside. Well, not so she lived outside. But I went to visit a woman. And she says to me, are you one of those ones that gets excited when they preach? I says, I sure am. <laughs> says, I'm not coming. You don't need to get excited and shout. I says, well, preachers heralded the gospel. They heralded John the Baptist, shouted in the wilderness. Here's his message. Here's his message. You ready? It says in Matthew 3 and 2, he cried, repent ye. First words of John the Baptist, the man filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's shouting to the people, change your mind, Christ is coming. 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 He was the forerunner of the Messiah. Notice then the second time chronologically that the word repent is mentioned is in Matthew chapter 4 in the next chapter and verse 17. And this is what it says. Jesus began to preach and to say. This is Jesus now. Began to preach and to say. What was his words? Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, here I am. He is the kingdom of heaven. And then we have in Mark chapter 6 and verse 12, the disciples preaching. John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus, the Son of God, the man with the Spirit without measure. Now we have the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're told they come preaching, Mark 6 and verse 12. And it says, And they went out and preached that men should repent. That men should repent. I've looked up some Greek scholars to get more of an idea of this repentance. Change your mind is what they all say, but here's another little bit added to this. You ready? Repent means to change one's mind about one's previous sinful life and his or hers present course of action. Let me give it to you in layman's terms. The Lord says to the sinner, change your mind on how you're living, how you've been living, and turn to me. Change your mind. It means to change your mind. You're walking this way. Stop. And do about turn and face God and walk with him. And walk with him. To change one's mind about one's previous sinful life and course of action. Listen, and to be determined to be done with it. You see, the problem is with many, they're not determined to be done with the past life. They're not determined to be done with how they lived before. They're not determined to be, to be done with the, the clubbing and the pubbing and the fornication and all of those things. They're not determined that that is the old man or the old woman that's done away with. And I'm determined to go on with God. I've changed my mind. But repentance, full repentance is that they're determined not to go back to that lifestyle anymore. And then in Acts 17 and verse 30, tells us of God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. This isn't just a request in the word of God. It's not just, well, maybe you should do. I would like you to, says God. It doesn't say that. But God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And who is it that repents but those whom he gives repentance unto life to? The religious, ceremonial sort of person, churchy person, need to repent. The atheist, the Satanist, and the humanist, the secularist, repent. The drunkard and the drug addict, the fornicator and the adulterer, the whoremonger and the prostitute, repent. The homosexual, repent. The promiscuous heterosexual, repent. The gossiper, the liar, the thief, the idolater, the reviler, the brawler, the murderer, the abuser, and the abortionist. Repent. The mother, the father, the son, the daughter, the grandparent, and the grandchildren. 
the lawyer, the judge, the politician, the doctor, the nurse, the surgeon, the scientist, the teacher, the principal, the professor, the professional, and the philosopher, the pop star and the rock idol, the actor and the author, the papist priest and the apostate Protestant, the rabbi and the imam, the godless pastors and minister, the elders, the deacon, the session, the kirk, and whosoever else there is that is not living right before God, repent. Repent. Will you turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 1, please? And verse 8. First Thessalonians chapter 1, please, and verse 8. Paul writes, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord. Where? The church of Thessalonica. We're only after hearing about that, aren't we? There was a riot there. <laughs> they were told not to preach there, but they kept on preaching Jesus. They kept firm on the word of God. They wouldn't yield and they wouldn't let and they wouldn't give up. And they pressed on and they pressed in and they kept preaching in the power of the Holy Ghost. And guess what? Men and women were saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And now he's writing to the church of Thessalonica. Listen to what he says. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Eh? What, what a testimony for a church assembly to have. And then he says, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned, notice the repentance, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. He says, you were serving other gods. You had all of the heathen gods. You allowed them into your nation and into your land and among your people and into your families and you were living in sin and idolatry and adultery and all of those sins and God had commanded you to repent and even in the midst of an uproar, and in hardship you received and you accepted Christ and you decided to leave all the past world behind you. Behind you forever. You burned your bridges and you sunk your boats and you went on with God. You went on with God. As many Christians haven't burnt their bridges. They haven't sunk their boats. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Listen, verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven. Isn't that powerful? Have you given up the old life? Have you burnt your bridges? Have you sunk your boat? Or is there a little boat just sitting there secretly in a little cove of the heart somewhere that you can get in and, and secretly sail off into the sunset when no one else is looking, just in case, as a braces and belt. Brother, sister, 
sell all that you have. Sell all that you have. In other words, give all the world up and all that would hinder you and hold you back. Burn your bridge and sink the boat and oh, live for Christ and look for his son, the Lord God Almighty, who's coming from heaven. On repentance, listen to Puritan Thomas Fuller. He says, you cannot repent too soon because you do not know how soon it may be too late. Let me just say that again. You cannot repent too soon because you do not know how soon it may be too late. Listen, you're never too old to repent. You're never too young to repent. But you can be too late. You can be too late. Puritan Thomas Watson, listen to this. I thought this was tremendous. This By delay of repentance, sin strengthens and the heart hardens. The longer ice freezeth, the harder it is to be broken. See the man and the woman who hear the gospel and they keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And the man and woman who hear the gospel and say, I'll come back another night or I'll wait to another meeting or I'll listen to another message or maybe not this evening, maybe tomorrow morning. And maybe they've heard for a number of weeks or months or days or years or whatever. Their heart can harden to the word of God. Their heart can harden to the gospel. It's like ice, it's harder to break because it gets thicker and harder. Brothers and sisters, even as Christians, it's not popular today in much of Christianity for Christians to repent. I still believe in repentance. Seven letters to seven churches in five of those letters in Revelation chapter, Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, five of the seven churches, Jesus writes to the Christians and says, repent. So secondly, Acts 3 and 19, please. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. You'll be glad to know that was my longest point. I think. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Notice when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. This is a strange little word, the times of refreshing. It's the word anapsuxis. And anapsuxis really gives the idea of a cooling down, a refreshing, exactly what it means. It leans towards the, the Peter is looking at the messianic blessedness ushered in by the return of Christ. Now Peter's saying, you repent, and when Christ returns, such blessedness there be, such refreshing in a life and a world that is hard toward God and hard toward the gospel and, and dead under trespasses and sins and in a world that doesn't want to know the gospel, who hate the sound of the name of Jesus, he says, but you who love him, there's coming a time and oh, such refreshing will come whenever we see him. But also the root word anapsusis is a word anapsuko. And this is what it means. It means to, uh, it gives the idea of a recovery of breath. Now you know what it's like if you're really out of 
breath and you're just, you're out running or something and there's nothing like you stop and you're, I just need a breath. You know? I need a breath. It gives the idea that you stop and there's a, a breathing space, a breath to be had. It means to recover from the effects of heat. Now, bad weather here. How do you know it's summertime in Northern Ireland? Simple, because the rain's warmer. And it's raining as usual. But when I was away with Alison and the girls there, there was one day it was 39 degrees. Oh, anyway. <laughs> Remember one day we were going up a hill. The hill was very steep toward the train station. We were getting the train to go in to Fungarola down that direction on the train and the hill was like this. And by the time you get up, you're just soaking with sweat with the heat and you're... I remember just getting into the shade and there was this little instance of a breeze and it was like a refreshing. Refreshing. And you just want to stand there and you're, oh, it's not beautiful. And it gives the idea to recover from the effects of heat to revive. Listen, it means to bring revival and for that split second you can feel revival coming. Under that tree and that tree, I could feel revival coming. And the idea here is that, that if we repent, <laughs> repentance uh, and revival are two grapes of the same vine, brothers and sisters. That if the church were to repent of our ways and if the church were to repent of our, of our lethargy, if the church were to repent of our selfishness and repent for not preaching the gospel and repent for our fear that we have of man and fear that we have of government and, and fear that we have of, of man's laws and all of those things and afraid to speak out for Christ, that if we were to truly repent and change our minds about those things, God might just bring a sense of revival in us. Breath of revival. Let me give you a quick idea of this word refreshing here. Second Timothy 1 and 16. Second Timothy 1 and 16. Let me just refresh myself with a drink. It says, The Lord give mercy unto the house of, an, of Onesiphorus. For he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Now notice this. Paul in prison. First of all, he says, uh, Onesiphorus means bringing prophet or prophet bringer or bringing help. Strange that this man is the one who comes to find Paul out. Notice, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Notice, first of all, he offered refreshed me. It means he intentionally brought blessing to Paul many times. He oft refreshed me. Secondly, he was not ashamed of me. My chains means he was true and he was loyal. The chains did not stop him ministering to Paul, even though he was, he was going to be placed maybe in chains himself for associating with Paul. Thirdly, he says, but when, this is in the next verse, but when he was in Rome, he sought me, out very diligently, notice, and found me. Notice, but when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. In the metropolis of Rome, among all the peoples of Rome, 
among all the things that were happening in Rome and the dangers of Rome, among the many prisons that were in Rome and the catacombs of Rome and all the places that Paul could have been in Rome as a prisoner, this man sought him out very diligently. He went out of his way to make sure he found Paul and he wouldn't stop through Rome. He probably went to the Senate and he went and he asked governors and he's went to other places and he said, in what prison, in what house or what place is Paul? Notice, he says, he sought me out very diligently and found me. I read that and I thought, he refreshed you many times he did this. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters, this is Christ-like. How oft he has refreshed us. He was not ashamed to come and to take on our chains, and to break them and set us free from them. And he sought us out very diligently. Christ came and sought us out very diligently. And he found us. Christ has sought you out and found you. Where did he find you, brother? Where did Christ find you, sister? Friend, if you're not saved, Christ could find you here tonight. And refresh you. Refresh you. Alone in chains, bound and under the judgment of Rome, lost in the multitude of humanity, the prophet bringer brought help. Refreshing in Christ. You know what is refreshing? The knowledge of your sins being forgiven. The most refreshing thing is to know that you belong to Jesus. The refreshing of the Lord is to know that his blood that was shed at Calvary has paid the fullness of your debt. The refreshing is that we have salvation which is full and free, all paid by Christ. But here's the refreshing for the man and the woman who's not yet saved. Maybe God's been dealing with you and you've been struggling in your heart and your mind and the things of God have been over and the interest of the things of God are not of yourself, they're all of the Holy Spirit. And you've been wrestling and struggling with them. Here's the refreshing, a yielded heart and a yielded spirit to give your life on to Christ. To repent brings refreshment. There's people in here when I pointed them to Jesus. Some at mission, some in the church, some even before this church. And some of them have said, when I've sat with them and I've prayed, some of them cried like a baby. And they let out a big sigh of relief. They were relieved their fight was over. They were refreshed in the knowledge of salvation found in Christ. Are you refreshed tonight? Moving quickly. Reception. Reception. Acts 3. 
Acts chapter 3, please. Verse 21. Whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. Reception. When Christ was risen from the dead, he was received up into heaven. Acts 1 and 11, the men said, Why, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up, notice it's the same word for receive, taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you see him go into heaven. He was received. He, his work was accomplished and his father brought him back into his bosom. The word of the father returning in flesh. The son of God. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Notice, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So the heavens received Christ. Now here's the thing, brother. Here's the thing, sister. Because the heavens have, it means to put the arms out and to bring to oneself. The Father, as it were, took his Son and brought him into himself, brought him back to his bosom, seated at the right hand or the place of power and authority of God. And because you and I are in Christ, we will be received also. We will be received also. But there are those, according to the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 13, in verse 27, he will say, Depart from you, ye workers of iniquity. Not received, but rejected. Jesus will say, Depart from me. In John 14 and 13, Jesus says, And if I go, I prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there, you may be also. Lastly and quickly, restitution. Acts chapter 3 and verse 21. Whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things. Christ, the restitution of all things. It's a word, apocatastasis. Restitution, it means to restore to a true theocracy. See, democracy isn't great, you know. It's about the best of a bad thing. Monarchy wasn't meant to be over Israel, but they wanted a king. It was a theocracy. God was their king. And so they had a king, and we know the story of that. And when Christ returns, it won't be rulers of different lands and nations. They'll come and throw their crowns at Christ's feet, and there's going to be a theocracy. It means to restore to a true theocracy, to restore to a perfect state as before the fall that was lost in Adam. See this earth? The earth isn't going to dissolve like snow. I know there's scriptures that, that would say that, you know, the earth shall um, melt with fervent heat, but the earth shall abide forever. It's the world system. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Let me give you one example of this and I'm finished. In Matthew 12 
and verse 13, Jesus walks into a synagogue and there's a man with a withered hand. And he calls the man out in the synagogue and he says, stretch forth your hand. And the hand, that, and he stretched forth the withered hand and as he stretched out in faith, it became as made whole as the other. And the term in Matthew 12 and 13, and it was restored whole like as the other. It's the same term here. It's like the Christ that we wait for from heaven when he comes back. The earth is going to be restored again. And in his kingdom, there's going to be no more death. No more separating from loved ones. Going to be no more hate. No more hurt. No more sickness. No cancer. No tumors. No diabetes. No kidney failures. No diseases. He's going to make it whole again. Brothers and sisters, you know what this all starts with. Peter, he says, repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. You see, those sins, if they're not blotted out, cannot be in God's heaven or God's kingdom. Your sins cannot be there. They must be eradicated either from you in this life or with you in the next. Which will it be? Which will it be? May God bless his word to us this evening in his mighty name. Amen.